Shelby Hazard, Colton Ezer, Live Feed, Facebook Live, everybody, Pastor, Associate Pastor, uh, Clayton Pruitt's in the back, Associate Pastor. We've got all kind of great stuff going on here at Parkway Baptist Church. Tonight we're looking at 2 Corinthians and we're doing Dr. Alan Stringfellow's study. And if you would like one of these books, if you'll contact us, we'll be happy to, to, to get you one somehow. Uh, it's a, uh, a wonderful uh, systematic uh, exposition of the, uh, of the high points of each book of the Bible. We're in 2 Corinthians, so we got how many more weeks left? Uh, I think 20? it's around like 20. 20 weeks yeah, left? Yeah, counting tonight. Yep. If, if we finish this, which we're already 6.05 in, I yeah. don't know, it's we're gonna make it. already. We're going to make it. We're gonna make it. I'm seeing 6.05. We should have started like, you know, 5.55. Nah. We're gonna, we're <laughs> gonna, if not, we'll just do two nights. Yeah, that sounds good. So the book, <clears throat> the first letter of Paul to the church at Corinth was written from Ephesus. And the evidence of that is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. And while this letter was written, while this letter was written from Philippi, you should remember Philippi. And well, who was the uh, who was the lady that uh, one of the more well-known women in the Bible that supported Paul's work? Lydia. Lydia, very good, very good. Has some scholars. Anybody named Lydia in here? Anybody? No. Okay. Paul had sent Titus to Corinth because he could not go himself. Titus was to have met Paul. And Timothy at Troas with a report on the church at Corinth. But Titus did not arrive. Evidence for that is in 2 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. When Titus did not come, Paul and Timothy went on to Philippi where Titus brought good news from Corinth. Paul gives more of his personal history and his own feelings in his letter than in any other of his writings. Did you, believe, did you sense that to be true as you read the letter? He gives a, a, very, a very lengthy, thorough defense of his apostleship mm-hmm. uh, is what he does in this letter. Uh, so there, there must have been some, just some crazy stuff going on in Corinth is all I've got to say. We you don't know because we've only got one side of the story. But, uh, and actually something so. we mentioned last week at the end after we were wrapping up and everyone was dismissing, there's actually four Corinthian letters. Uh, we only have two of them. Right. Um, and the other ones are lost to history and obviously not considered scripture because God didn't plan for those letters to be in our Bibles. But just interesting to know that. I also think it's really neat that uh, Paul comes to them with a very intense letter that we saw last week and now, or the last two weeks, and now we're seeing him come and he opens himself up uh, vulnerably Mm -hmm. to show his heart, uh, to show his passion for Mm -hmm. them, to show his... Uh, his weaknesses. He talks about that in 11, chapter 11, uh, really technically 10 through 12. He talks about his weaknesses. And I think it's neat because when we walk in godly ways, uh, you know, godly fellow godly saints, I think are more apt to open up themselves to one another, to have deeper fellowship and communion with one another. You think about it. Oh, yeah. You may not be as comfortable talking about your struggles in the faith and these types of things with people that you see that are weak Christians, that are a place where they're not, they're, they're shallow in their faith. Whereas with someone you know is trusted and deep and strong in their faith, you know that that's a person that you can, that can be a spiritual confidant mm-hmm. that you can talk to and share. That's all just conjecture. I don't know. I mean, that's obviously Paul didn't state that in this letter. I, I do think it's a neat kind of implication, though, of what you see. Walter? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Good iron word. sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Yep. 
The central message is pretty clear. It's in the first chapter, uh, the comfort of God through Christ. And, and if you look at that first chapter of 2 Corinthians, you see the word comfort multiple times uh, through there. And the idea is, is that as we are together in the family of God together, hey, David, whatever we experience uh, is, is then God can use that for us to help bring comfort to others. And the way I've always liked to explain it is, is like for me, me with an alcohol and drug background, uh, for, for me, somebody who is struggling with alcohol and drug addiction, I can really understand that. So through the affliction of my alcohol and drug use back, you know, 25 years ago or 30 years ago now, uh, I can then bring that, use that, and help someone else uh, understand how God can free them uh, from that through, through grace, through the grace that Christ imparts to us through faith in the gospel. Yeah. And so that's the comfort, that affliction God puts in your life is not wasted as a Christian. That affliction can then be turned and used for other people's comfort once you, once you break through. Yeah, and something you're going to see constantly throughout this letter, and you, if you read it, you'll, you'll note this theme that just kind of wafts up every now and then, and it's a super strong theme throughout the whole scripture. And it's the fact that we have died in Christ. Mm -hmm. We have been, uh, you know, as it were, crucified with him on the cross, our old person, our old self. Uh, we died there when we identify with Christ in faith, when we place our faith in Jesus. And Paul, a lot of what he's going to say, he's going to talk a lot about affliction. That's why he's talking about comfort. Um, Christ, we have been comforted in the reality of who we are in Christ. Uh, that's the only thing that held us. And that is one of the supreme movers of our faith that we are not our own anymore. And so just note, as we go through this book, you're going to see the reality of us being dead to our old self and alive in Christ, a new creature in Christ, which we'll see in chapter 5, it informs everything and permeates everything about who we are now in Christ. We are new, we have new affections, mm -hmm. we have new longings, uh, we have new motivations, mm -hmm. and that all is rooted in the fact that we have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And you'll see that all throughout the letter. Galatians. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. We'll do that in two weeks, right? Or three weeks? Uh, two, three? Well, hopefully one week, but if this extends to two weeks, yeah, then it'll be right. three weeks. So. <laughs> so the structure of the book, and he, do, uh, he, do, he, he probably does the most simple outline. It, with, with any scholar that you go to, to choose to study a book with, uh, each one of them will give you probably a little bit different of an outline uh, of the book that you're, that you're wanting to study. And Stringfellow probably gives one of the simplest outlines that, that you'll find out there. And, and s simple outlines are helpful yeah. because the fewer breakouts you have, the easier it is to remember the theme. So in this case, you only have three. So the comfort of God, which is one through chapters 1 through 7, Christian giving, which is chapters 8 and 9, and then Paul's defense of his apostleship, what uh, Colton touched on already, is chapters 10 through 13. Uh, 10 through 13 is very interesting. Uh, I mean, it's all great, but, but especially seeing the inside oh, yeah. the defense that Paul gives of his call and his ministry and uh, all that is and really, the, really being, helpful. Being called into the third heaven, I mean, it's mm -hmm. just an interesting deal. Yep. All right, the comfort of God. Let's begin to open this up and take a look at it. So chapter one, Paul's sufferings in Ephesus and Asia were serious. His condition was such that we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. 
if you look at verse 9 that he's referring to there, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 9, it says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on who, y'all? On God who raises the dead. So that, that's, that's pretty serious. So they, they, they thought there was a time when they thought they were going what? Yeah, die. You've been there before? Anybody been there before? Been under a tornado? <laughs> Remember when that tornado came through? Was it last year around this time? Yeah. Had us yeah. Underneath, the, uh, underneath our houses? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a little different than what Paul was talking about, but death you know, is death. This, this language that he talks about, though, this is probably the deepest sorrow you see with Paul. Yeah. Because, I mean, you, you will, we'll see in, I think it's 11 or 12, he walks through all of his sufferings. Mm -hmm. And this language, I mean, he does not use this language for any, any other, in any other place for his sufferings. I don't, I don't think. Mm -hmm. I think this is the one place he really shows that. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't really thought about it, but it could, could be. Yeah. Verses three and seven, in verses in chapter one, verses three and seven, the words comfort and consolation are used 10 times in five verses. So we know uh, it's kind of like, and, and I've, I've told you this before, and it was very helpful to me when I learned it. In, in every letter, and it may take you a little time to find it, okay? And probably the, the easiest, clearest one is like the book of Acts. When you go to the book of Acts, chapter one, verse eight, remember what that says? You will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then the whole book, the whole book of Acts is, is an expansion of all of those different uh, geographical expansions of, of in the book of Acts. Well, it's very similar to here in 2 Corinthians. The very first chapter of 2 Corinthians, chapter one, kind of gives you the overarching view of what this whole book is gonna be about. And that's comfort through affliction, okay, this is, is, is what he does. And I, that, and I love that because that helps you define and understand the book that you can look, through, look at the book through the lens of that key yeah. interpretation. So it's the same word he says here is used for the Holy Spirit, which is the comforter. Now, how ironic is that, that that same word is used for the Holy Spirit? Very interesting. So not only, so it's like the Spirit, the Spirit being inside of us enables us to endure the affliction. Would you amen that? Right? That, because he's the comforter, he's the helper. So at the same time, not only does he help us endure the affliction, but he turns us into ministers through that to provide comfort to others. That, that's the amazing thing about God. And that's the reason why you hear Colton harp so much, especially in this season right now, on filling out that little form uh, for, for serving in the church. Because God is doing something in all of your lives. Now, you might not think that it's affliction, but there are struggles and challenges that all of us go through on a regular basis. And if you're a Christian, those struggles and those challenges, the Holy Spirit is using that to birth you into ministry. Now, that might scare you half to death, uh, but, but, that, but that's the absolute truth. And so every single one of us is gifted by God and put on a plan in life to form us into ministers so that we can be ambassadors of Christ, leading others to reconciliation uh, to God through Jesus. All right, so the comfort of God, chapters one through seven. Did somebody say something? Thought I heard something. Paul uses his own sufferings as a testimony to Corinth that God sustains and comforts so that he might comfort others. Let's read those. Colton, why don't you read those verses 8 through 14? Yep, absolutely. Chapter 1. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. 
For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that, we will, that he will deliver us again. You also must uh, help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted to us through the prayers of many. Excellent. And then his desire and plan is to go to Corinth, but God changed his plans. And he, told, and, uh, he tells you to read 15 through, through 24. I'll read that. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him is always a what? Yes, exactly. Okay, so that's just, he just shows you a little bit about, about the plans and how, um, how God, you know, changed their, how God changed them around. Verse 24, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Wonderful. I wanted to say real quickly too, uh, so just to kind of help you wrap your mind around it, through Christ we experience, through Christ we experience and express comfort. Mm-hmm. So in Christ, through Christ, we experience and we express comfort. So just to kind of help you latch your mind onto it. Yeah, that's excellent. And then he, he breaks it down a little bit more, to, more for you. Uh, verse 21, he says, the Holy Spirit establishes the believer in verse 21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. The Holy Spirit anoints the believer, okay? And he has anointed us, seals the believer, and the Holy Spirit is the earnest and the pledge of more to come. So this is why, again, he says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming into Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. It's good stuff. Yeah, man. All right, chapter 2. This is an interesting chapter. If you remember uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, who remembers that? What happened in 1 Corinthians 5? What is going on, this, this major situation in 1 Corinthians 5? What's happened? Yeah, of, of kind that even pagans don't tolerate. You have an incestual relationship. You have a, uh, you have a stepmother uh, who has gotten into uh, sexual relations with the son, uh, and it's a big deal. Uh, and the uh, and the, the church has basically not done anything about it. You want to go there right quick? Just be refreshed on this. And they're boasting. Mm-hmm. It's obviously <laughs> a very discomforting situation, but um, I personally believe that one of the reasons why churches have such a difficult time dealing with sin is because passages like this are never talked about. Uh, because they, they make us feel uneasy, they make us feel uncomfortable. We don't even like to think about them, uh, but the Bible certainly doesn't uh, shortcut them. Can you amen that? Puts it, puts it right in our face. Yeah. 
it is actually a p- reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So we believe, most all scholarship believes, that this Second Corinthians chapter 2 is referring to that situation that happened in First Corinthians chapter 5 in the second letter, or this would be the third letter, right? Because you have the first letter that was sent, yeah. we don't have a copy of, then the first Corinthians was sent, then second Corinthians right, was sent. Right, so. right. And I love, I love what he says here because Shelby has hit on this, um, uh, and it's good that he's hit on this so many times, but church discipline, uh, we do church discipline for the purpose of restoration. Mm-hmm. We want to see the person restored. We don't walk people through church discipline because they're like, man, we just want to give that guy a hard time, you know? No, we, we want to kick someone out. Let's, let's see a show here. Come on. You know, that's not it. No. We want to gently and lovingly and firmly come uh, to this person. We want to exercise church discipline so that they might repent and be restored unto mm-hmm. the Lord. Uh, and that's exactly what he says, I think, in verse 7 here of chapter 2. So you should uh, rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Yeah, and in this, and in this situation, I think you actually have biblical evidence here that, that what they did actually worked. I mean, Paul sent, sent the rebuke. Uh, they obviously obeyed it, and now he is saying that this person was now put out, and now let's, they have come to repentance, so let's restore them. Uh, because we don't want them to be, I believe, he, the terminology he uses in verse 7. Uh, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be what? Overwhelmed by excessive yeah. sorrow. So there is definitely a point to where you say, okay, this person has repented, we restore them, and it's, and it's, and it's done. Of course, obviously, you know, the, the, the process of accountability never stops between all of us, but mm-hmm. in that particular issue, if he's repented, He's he's to be restored. So let's run through the notes here. Uh, Paul had commanded discipline, correct? 1 Corinthians 5. Now we find that the person had repented. So Paul urges them to restore him in the fellowship. Refusal to forgive him would give Satan an advantage, he says in verse 11. So let's look at verse 11. He literally says that. That's why he uses that in the notes. Verse 11 says so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his design. So let's read the whole context, beginning in verse 10. I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 through, through 11. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So... And what are his designs? Oh, confusion, chaos, vengeance, gossip, slander. Doesn't Satan want us to live in shame? Yes. Over yes, our sin and yes. to experience excessive sorrow? Just, just constantly, yes, Brennan. And not only that, you know, it's, it's critical that he urges unity at that time because if we stay separate, that's what no doubt. The next few verses is one of some of my favorite uh, verses in all the Bible. I, it, it's just one of the most so unique, uh, some of the most unique ideas that Paul gives us in anything that he writes. Uh, we'll just read through it right quick and then we'll move on. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, I'm in Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 2, beginning verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. 
But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So wherever Titus and wherever Paul go, uh, they spread the what? The aroma of Christ. Now, now what's, what's cool about that, what I love the way he says about that is, is that we got this idea that everybody's going to be saved, okay? I guarantee you ain't everybody going to be saved, okay? Yeah. I, I just, I, the Bible is very clear about that. However, wherever we go as true believers, we carry with us the aroma of Christ, okay? To some people, that's going to smell like what? Death. Have you ever had somebody that just hated you for no reason? You didn't even know them. They just, for whatever reason, they just took a not liking to you. I believe that's a manifestation of what Paul is talking about here. I think it's, it's one of these supernatural things that you just don't, you can't really get your mind around. But that I believe some people that are not believers and for whatever reason are never going to be believers or enemies of the cross, enemies of the faith, I think just the fact that you smell like Jesus, they hate you for it. But then the other is also true. To those who love Christ, that smell comes into the room, what happens? They love you because the Christ in them identifies with what? The Christ in you, exactly. So this is one of those really mysterious teachings that Paul gives us that, that's yeah. <laughs> really helped me understand some things throughout my life, I mean, I'll tell you. Does your life, does your faith stink because your life stinks or does your... <laughs> Does your faith stink because you, you're glorifying God and it's, good. it's actually giving off a, a sweet aroma to some and, yeah. oh man, I don't, like, I don't like that guy. Yeah, that's right. Continuing on, chapter 3 and 4. So we see the old covenant versus the new covenant. So Paul goes into this, um, into this neat comparison, this contrast between the old and new covenant. So the old covenant was the letter of the law. The new is that of the spirit written in fleshly tables of the heart. When you look at verses 3 and 6, you just read those, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from who? God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit does what? Gives life. So the old covenant, he keeps going, the old covenant was one of condemnation the new of righteousness. So the, the idea there is, try to, try to open this up a little bit, Colton, you jump in any time. Yeah. When, you, when, you, when you come to the law of God, you read the law of God, the Ten Commandments, just to simplify it for tonight. When you read those commandments, if you start at the top and you begin to go down to the bottom, I don't know about you, but do you find yourself going, okay, I've never done that, okay, I've never done that, uh-oh, 
Thou shalt not steal. <laughs> I've done that. Thou shalt not bear false witness, lie. Uh-oh, done. So, so you start off okay, but then what happens? The law kills you. The law condemns you because you come to the law and you realize that you have utterly failed. I mean, how many of us have, have taken an idol over God? All right, all of us. How many of us have taken the Lord's name in vain? I mean, all of us. How many of us have lied? How many of us have not honored our parents? How many, I mean, just straight down the line. However, the Spirit does what? Frees us, why? And this is the key thing that took me a while to understand as a believer. Because Jesus, in his death on the cross, what did he do with the law? Completely fulfilled it. Could you fulfill it? No. Can anybody fulfill it? No. So that's where the condemnation comes. Nobody can fulfill that, so we stand condemned against the law. But when Jesus came and died on the cross, he completely fulfilled the law. So through our faith in him, we have what? Freedom from the law. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean the law is bad. It doesn't mean the law is not useful. It doesn't mean we shouldn't study the Ten Commandments. It, 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 what, it, what it means is, is, that, is that the condemnation and the death that comes through the law was completely fulfilled by Jesus. And now we're free in Christ. That's what that means. We're free in the Spirit is what yeah. he's talking about here. And he does really something unique with the Corinthians here. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but reading through 2 Corinthians, there's moments, and even 1 Corinthians, there's moments when Paul uses certain metaphors and things like that. And you might be like me when I read through it for the first or 20th time. And I'm like, what in the world is Paul saying here? What, is he, what does he mean when he says, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, mm. written, on, uh, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Mm. What in the world is he talking about? The Corinthians are our letter of recommendation. Well, what he's saying is, I think, is that the Corinthians and their faith, their genuine faith and experience of life in Christ is like a, a letter of approval, their commendation before God. The fact that they have been saved and redeemed in Christ, it's no longer the letter of the law that gives us our, the letter of the law was never going to give us our commendation, our guarantee before the Lord. Only the Spirit could do that. Uh, written on tablets of human hearts. Mm -hmm. uh, only, and, and I love how he, he draws this metaphor between the law being written on tablets of stone, and he says, now your commendation is the fact that you have had the law written on your hearts by the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, and this draws back to even Ezekiel 36, uh, when he talks about, I'm going to remove the heart of stone in you, and I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh and cause you to walk in my ways. And so this is what he's, you know, talking about, and we could, we could spend weeks oh, yeah. talking about all these passages. That's why it's so difficult. Well, that, well, that you know, while you were thinking, well, I had one, one thought I'll follow mm -hmm. up. That, that's why I, I love it when, when people that I have known in the past and ministered to in the past are around this area and they come here to worship with us on a Sunday. Yeah. To me, I don't need a letter from them. Their testimony of coming in this fellowship and, and, listen, and, and like putting themselves under the preaching that God has blessed me with to do, mm -hmm. to me, that, that is all the commendation I need. I mean, yeah. they came here to, to, to see me, for us to fellowship. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of the same yeah, thing Yeah, he sees about. their genuine faith and he says, right. that's our, you don't, don't right. I don't need to write you a letter. Look at the Corinthians right. and their expression of faith. That's our letter exactly. of recommendation. Yeah. I just, that's cool. good. So let's keep going. So the, the old and new covenant, the old versus new covenant. So the old covenant, though done away was what? 
glorious, right? The, the, the law, the covenant at Sinai, was that not an incredible covenant? I mean, you remember the testimony, the fire coming out on the mountain, Moses going up, the, the Israel being scared half to death and, not, and, and scared to approach the mountain. I mean, it was incredible. But the new is glorious because the new is here, now, forever. Yes, yes, Jack. Yeah. The now veil is removed. That's right. Freedom. And, you know, further, if you keep on going to chapter 4, verse 4, uh, well, let me, just, let me just start at chapter 4. Let me see if this, yeah, this goes through 4, 6. Therefore, I'm in, I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just beginning in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced, and listen to this very closely, modern-day Christians, we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. Do you hear that, Baptists? Okay. Live feed people, do you hear this? Okay. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with what? Yeah. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, meaning like that aroma of Christ we were just talking about, to some it's the aroma of life, to some it's the aroma of death. Well, if it's to some the aroma of death, that's because they are, like Jack just said, they're what? They're veiled. It is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. It doesn't get much clearer than that, people. Yeah. It just doesn't. So, all right, keep going. The symbol of the old covenant was a veil. We just talked about that. The new is the mirror. Let's uh, see. We think we did. We miss that thirteen. No, we talked about that. Uh, verse seventeen. I think we I think uh, Jack mentioned that. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's Spirit of freedom. Okay, let's Ooh. keep going. That's a good one. Um, so we see the differences between the old and new covenants. We, we are made mirrors to reflect the glory of, of the Lord. Do you feel like that? Do you feel that you're a mirror to reflect the glory of God? Yes, Brandon. created purpose to be image bearers. Yeah. Bring us back to what we were created to be. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I, I, yeah. I really, I really love, um, someone used the illustration of, you know, when you, when you look into the word, you're looking as if into a mirror and you're seeing what, what you're called to be. Um, and, and that's constantly stripping away that old nature 
that old nature you still struggle with, that self, and you're, you're being transformed into the image of Christ. Every time we look longingly and gazingly into this word, you know, let us not be like the man that James says that looks into a mirror, yep. sees his face, and walks away and forgets it. But Unchanged, let us be like the yep. man who looks into the mirror, sees his face, and says, man, I got a huge pimple. I need to get that thing taken care of, right? It's like if there's a blemish or something, like let's get that thing taken care of. In the same sense, I see a blemish in my life. Like I need to, I need to take care of this so that I would look more and more like Christ. Yeah, you know, that's so, just funny. You're just talking. You know, when you get older, uh, have you noticed that you get, hair grows in funny places? Have y'all noticed that? <laughs> I don't. I'm not, I mean, I'm not trying to be gross I'm, because I'm not going to gross land. I'm just saying the hair grows in funny places. One of the places that, that that hair grows on me that drives me nuts is in my ears, right in here, but on also on this part of your ear, like the around on the cartilage oh, right yeah. here. And and I mean, one night and I, I got really mad at Angie about this because um, I'm I'm looking in the mirror in my bathroom and I see this the light glistens off this one hair and I'm telling you that sucker. Started was like its. was like that long. I mean, it looked like an antenna Started shooting off radio to the back. And I and I caught it. And I'm like, what? I said, Angie, you know, and I, come here. I said, why haven't you told me about that? I, I didn't know it was there. I'm like, yeah, I mean, come Man. on. She knew it was there, right? No. She knew it was there. It grows overnight. There it is. Miracle so, grow. So, you know, so I I, I clipped it, but man, it was just yeah. it was just shocking to know that now. I mean, I'm losing hair here, and it's but I've got hair out coming out of my ears where... It's, it's nose hair it's for me, It's the fallen man. world, isn't it? That's it's, what it is. It's nose hair for me. It's just like... I wasn't going to bring that up, yeah. but th thanks a lot for that, yeah. Tony. That's all right. Thanks a lot for that. Okay. Anyway, back to the text. So, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Man, so Paul has a way with words. Okay, so what comfort we should find in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. And 7 through 10 is this uh, wonderful teaching about treasures and jars of clay. One? In fact, huh? Can I read this? Absolutely, but, but let this me say one. this first. Yeah. Did y'all know there was a band called Jars of Clay? Okay, yes. all right, go ahead. And they're awesome. Jars of Are they still man. together? Yeah. Are they? Okay. Really? I didn't know that. I no, he's I... laughing. Are they really still together? That's sweet. Okay. okay. They are. That's great to know. Yeah. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And the question, I think, is what is the treasure that we are carrying in jars of clay? What is he saying there? Okay. I know okay. exactly what it is. You know how I know? Because I've got a circle yep. written around this treasure with an arrow that points up. So, but we have this treasure, and the treasure is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God Dude, in the face that is of Jesus it. Christ. Context. Context is queen. No applause, no amen, no hallelujah. I'll applaud you. That was great. Okay. Anyway, yes. 
He Thank literally you. gives us, he, so just, just so you know, interpretive note there, when you're reading, just look back up and, and look around what you're asking the question about, because literally that was a question to me as I was reading. What is the treasure he's talking about? Well, he's talking about the light of the knowledge of, of Christ um, being shown in our hearts. He just said that. And uh, me being the very just slow person I am, it took me a minute and I had to look back up and find it. They were, you know what they were all thinking? The reason why they didn't erupt and because we're, we're paid to know these things. Right, right, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> okay, moving right along. Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, verses 8 and 9, I think you just read that, so he yes. just gave you some summary statements here. Troubled, we're troubled, but we're what? Not mm. distressed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken we're cast down but we're not destroyed our outward man will perish our inward man is renewed and this is probably one of the one of the uh one of my favorite passages in the bible uh for um for talking about death at funerals mm. um this just really helps because the the, the christian theology here is just rich uh, beginning in verse 16 in chapter 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, meaning that when we look in the mirror from month to month, to year to year, what happens? Yep. Our inner nature is being what? Renewed day by day, which I mean, our, I mean his mercies are new on a daily basis. Can I get a witness on that? Amen. I mean, they really are. I mean, I mean, his mercies are new on a daily basis. I mean, at least we get to sleep. Amen. We do get to sleep. For this light, slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. So in other words, I mean, it would I mean 30 minutes to expound every, all the theological um, implications in that. But, but the thing to remember is is that whatever the affliction is may seem like it's overwhelming, but in comparison to all the time that you will spend in eternity, which is bigger, it, all the time you'll spend in eternity. So, so even death, torture, persecution, no matter what it is, that as I think in Peter's is light momentary afflictions, what he yeah. could do not be surprised when this light momentary affliction comes because you, you, know, you have a surpassing weight of glory waiting in eternity. Just remember that when, you're in, when you are encountering something that you think is overwhelming, just know that it's going to be momentary and it's going to be passing. Yeah. So. And also just something that I have to hit on because I think it's so good. Uh, when you look back at verse 10, he says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Again, what in the world are you talking about, Paul? And I think what he's talking about is when we identify with the sufferings of Christ, as we are called to do, when we suffer as our king has suffered, when we join into his sufferings, all the more does his life shine through our lives. So the closer we come to suffering like our king and we identify with that, the more glory he's going to get in the gospel. And I just, I think that's such a beautiful yeah. Paul, man. He just, Second Corinthians brings it home. Amen, bro, that's wonderful. I comfort in death. Uh, again, great, great, great letter. 
uh, for, to find words for death coming into the light, slight momentary affliction coming into the heavenly dwelling. So physical death means the departure from the body or the tabernacle. So the bodies we have, are they permanent or are they temporary? They're temporary. This body that we have in this life uh, will come to pretty much an end when we die. Our spirit is invisible that lives inside us, that animates our bodies. Uh, that will depart and go to be with Jesus. And he'll talk about that in just a little while. Uh, then upon his second coming, uh, he will, Jesus will return. And, and this is the part that's just wild, but doesn't matter if you were cremated, doesn't matter how you died, what state that your body's in, it makes no difference whatsoever. Uh, when your spirit comes back, God will supernaturally resurrect your, your, your body like that, like the body we have now, but it won't last but just that long. Then once your spirit and your body reunite, at that second, the Bible tells us, Paul says in the twinkling of an eye, that body will be changed to what? Immortal, a body like Jesus' body at the resurrection. Forever. Never, never to be changed again. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's going to be, that's what you have to look forward to. Amen? Hair not grown out of the ears. That's what you have to look forward to. No hair growing out of the ears. Yes. Thank you, Colton. Yes. Amen. And no long and antennas coming out of my, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So death means that we leave these bodies and are immediately in the presence of the Lord. Yes, verse 8, we are of good courage we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, that's, <clears throat> that's probably one of those passages that you've heard a thousand times, is it not? How many times have you heard that? An absence from the body is a what? You've heard that. I, I bet you before you even came to church, you heard somebody say that before, right? How, how many of you knew it was in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? I didn't. <laughs> I didn't until I became a, a preacher and went to seminary. Yeah. But, but it's just amazing how we hear these things our whole lives and we believe them, but we don't know where they are in Scripture, which is why we teach and do the things that we do. So in verses 9 through 13, this is one of the scarier passages. And if, if, I, I, mean, if I had a dollar for every time somebody came to me after a Bible study and asking me and mad over this, I mean, I, I, would, I wouldn't be rich, but I'd, I could make a car note for a month or two. Um, in verses 9 through 13, the believer... Did y'all hear that? The believer appears before the what? Judgment seat of Christ. So, are Christians judged? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I don't know where the teaching came from, Satan and hell, obviously, uh, but like where it came from in traditional Baptist circles, that Christians are not judged. I have heard that more, more times. I mean, I am 52 years old. I didn't start Christian ministry till I was probably in my 30s. So I've been at this a little over 20, 20 years. And, and I have preached 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 1 Corinthians 3, that passage about uh, the both those passages about Christian judgment. And, and, and the resistance was so fierce. The first couple of churches I, I, I pastored, I, I preached on it everywhere I went because I knew that, that, if, that if they hadn't heard it, then probably nobody had heard it. And it's true. Very few Christians realize that they are going to be judged when they die. Hmm. So you're telling me it matters how I live? Yes. Christ? Yes. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Yes, it matters how you live. Yes. 
the believer appears before the judgment seat of Christ to receive rewards or... Yeah, you don't get a whole bunch of shouting on no rewards, right? Salvation was settled at the time when accepted Christ, okay? This is not the judgment of sin, but of works done for Christ. So... Christians that have this idea, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I don't have to do missions to do. I don't have to give as a Christian. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. I'm like, well, I mean, that's true. I mean, you don't have to do it because salvation is by what? Faith. But one of these days you will die and you will go before the one who crossed eternity to come die on the cross for you and was beaten abused and persecuted and put on the cross for you and came up out of the grave for you and so i think that all of that is worth you doing something for him so i would hate for you to say that you're saved to live a life that has absolutely nothing to show for christian works and then die and go before jesus and have nothing to show for it in eternity other than salvation yeah, and I, I just... I but people really, are fine with that, man. There, there are people that are totally fine with that. Yeah. <clears throat> they don't want anything but to be saved. I, I, I don't understand it. They don't, they, they don't live that way down here. They do yeah. everything they can to build up a, a, a materialistic kingdom as much as they can. So it doesn't make much sense to me why they would feel the same way about the kingdom for the one that bled and died for them. But it's really strange how many people believe that way. Yeah, it's, it's concerning for me when I see someone who... who wants to toe the line and see how far they can go before it's too far. You know, how far, Lord, can I go away from you Mm -hmm. and journey away from you and not do what you've called me to do? How little do I have to do, oh Lord, to actually be, you know, someone who's kind of an approved worker? And that attitude, it really terrifies me for that person because it's like, man, when you stare and gaze into the glory of Christ, now I understand if it's someone who's only been saved like for a year, right? It's like, you're a baby Christian, you're growing, I understand that. But for the person who's been, who's supposed to have been gazing into the mirror of God's glory for years and years and years and they are still asking the question how little do I have to do for you Lord Uh, you know that person I'm very I'm very afraid for because to me I'm like yes you know you need to really check your soul at that point you know Lord am I right with you because if I was right with you, my attitude would be like Paul's to, to live as Christ and to die as gain. What he was saying in verse 8, you know, you, you were saying that the matter of believing this, yes, we are of good courage. Um, I'm sorry, we are good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Yes, we may give mental assent to that, but believing it actually means that you, you believe, you, you, you want that. I would really rather be with you, God. I think there's so many of us that are like, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I just want a little more fleshly stuff here, Lord. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, no, God, let us have more of Paul's perspective. But man, I, I, I would just, I cannot wait to be with you, Lord. Yeah. You know, and it's well, not like we're pleading to die, but it's just like, man, I'm so ready well, to be with the Lord. Let's go, Brandon's. Jack, and then we'll go to Brandon. Very well, yes. I just think that's such a driving force. Mm. And, and, and 
absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think the difference is made is because we think heaven has its own place off yonder in the future, and then earth, we're supposed to experience earth right now. But our mission as Christians is to bring heaven down to earth now. Right. That's the Lord's prayer. Jim? Well, I mean, just as an example, I mean, when you were growing up and, and uh, your father expected something of you, and, you know, maybe told you to do something, had to go, you came back, you didn't do it, you know, he asked you, you know, I mean, how did you feel in your heart when you let your father down? I mean, you're yeah. earthly father. Yeah. So you can imagine Jesus went to the cross and died, was beaten and died on the cross to save us from our sins. And yeah. that's the attitude we have is just, who cares? Yeah, you know, and, and just to be very clear, what we're saying here is exactly what Stringfellow from Paul's, from the inspired word of Paul here, is that we are not saved by our works, but Correct. certainly we are saved by the blood of Christ and, right. his, and his resurrection and the hope that we will raise with him. But because of that joy, that well of joy of knowing that you are Christ, it should produce fruit in us. Yes. And, and something, I mean, man, if you've got the little teeny pear that, you know, you can hardly like, you know, do anything with, but put it in a salad, maybe you can hardly taste it, you know, that's okay. Great, you produce some fruit. Praise the Lord, you know. But but man, if you don't produce any fruit, that's scary. Yeah, yeah, it, so. it, it is. So anyway, I, I think we made the point clear on that. But it, but it's it's and the other one other thing. Now I, I forgot to say this. Is it not ironic that out of all the letters that Paul wrote, the two that he wrote the most about Christian judgment were to who? Corinth. That says something. Yeah. That says something. Okay. Let's move on here. Uh, chapter 6, we're not going to get finished. Uh, Paul lists 18 trying experiences in ministry, 18 of them. Then he lists nine contrasts in verses 8 through 10. So let's just read these. If you've got your Bible, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, let's begin in verse 2. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. That was a, a, a citation of Isaiah 49.8. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Then he gives you the contrast, I believe in verses eight through 10, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich. I love that one. Yeah. As having, that, that ought to speak to the American Christian as many, much as any of them. As having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own, own, own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. That's good stuff. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> you want to say something? 
Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, it's neat how he says it's their own affections that limit their joy in Christ. Mm -hmm. If you want to experience more joy in Christ, he's saying it's not us that are limiting you. It's you that are limiting you um, in yeah. your worldly affections. Yeah, and, it, it's, and I, I think what happens there is I, I think people get kind of rutted into doing like one thing forever in the church, mm -hmm. you know, just one thing forever. And they never branch out. They never try to do anything else. And I don't know why that is. But the only thing that's limiting that person normally is just the courage to step out to do something different. That's, right. that's it. I mean, yeah. that's it. All right. Uh, the, the next, we go to this, um, uh, the personal appeal to the Corinthians at, at uh, Corinth to be separated from the world. Uh, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I'm in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God says. And then he cites Leviticus and Isaiah. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. And so Colton... <laughs> We're we gonna make some waves tonight. Nah, let's not make any waves. <laughs> but the, we so so this passage. I, I think the, the the way most of us have understood this passage, or the way I have always understood this passage and applied this passage, believers are not supposed to be yoked with unbelievers. What does it mean to be yoked? Connected, tied to. Uh, the idea comes from the law, Deuteronomy, I can't remember what passage, but where they were talking about how you wouldn't yoke two different animals together in a plow yoke because they don't have the same energy, they don't have the same uh, uh, animals, what do they have, traits, I guess, yeah. traits as animals, and so they might work against each other, uh, which, is, which is not good for, 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 uh, for farming. So the idea here is, is that, you, that a believer and an unbeliever's mindset about life, is it going to be different? Oh, yes. Yeah. Very much so. And so one, even though they might not realize it, okay? Now, I'm not trying to be ugly, but the fact of the matter is, is that the Bible teaches that unbelievers are enemies of the cross. Do y'all know that? Yeah. Okay. I don't like that any more than you do. I know lots of folks that, I, that I, I've known throughout my life who are unbelievers. They are nice to me. They are good to me. They have brought me no harm. But the Bible clearly says they are, they are enemies of the cross if they are not believers. I'm just as sorry as I can be about that. Yeah. So the issue is, is that believers are not supposed to be yoked with unbelievers. Okay? Uh, the way we've already always viewed that is through, through what? Marriage, right. Believers should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Yeah, and I simply brought up the point, you know, uh, our... <laughs> you are going to start, you are yes. going to make some waves. Uh, no, I'm, I, you know, the implication certainly is there, you know, that we should not be, you know, unequally yoked in marriage, obviously. Um, you know, the, the point that I brought into Shelby when we were talking about this, because we always get together and we talk about... Scripture. I mean, it's good. It's we great. argue we and meditate. fight. It's great. I know we no, love no, it. We I'm just, just we don't, I, we don't. iron sharpens iron. Uh, is that we always go? And I think the reason I say this is just to help us think more exegetically about Scripture. That means that we don't read into the passage something that's not there. Um, you know, or the, that's eisegesis. But anyway, 
um, marriage is not mentioned here. So we, we don't need to have blinders on when we come to this because what we tend to do is we read right through this passage and we just think about marriage. Okay, well, I'm not supposed to be, you know, yoked to an unbeliever. Okay, that's an implication of this passage. Certainly, you are, you're walking in an implication, a truth of this passage. But this is actually saying that we are not supposed to be yoked or tied to or in alliance with unbelievers in, uh, in the pursuits that we have in our lives. So we are not supposed to be yoked so tightly. Now, that, that doesn't mean that we can't have acquaintances with unbelievers. That's not what I'm saying. Right, that's right. And, and certainly, I don't think that it means that you couldn't have someone even that you would say, you know, I know that person. We have, we have some good conversations every now and then. That's great, and they're an unbeliever. But you don't consider them your closest friends that you're tied to and you're, you're allying your life with. And I mean, certainly, I think that you would, just case in point, if you saw your pastor, who's the representation of holy, uh, holy living in this church, if you saw him surrounding himself constantly with unbelievers and that was it, you might begin to be a little concerned, like, dude, like, what's... What's going on, man? You've made your confidants. You've made the people who you rely on unbelievers. Like, you need to be in the church. You need to have your closest people flanking you being Christian, strong believers. Mm -hmm. And so that's simply my point, that we not just read this with the blinders that we've always kind of tended to have on us uh, yeah. when we approach the text. Yeah. So That's good. Yeah. Okay. We probably need to quit. Closing time. Time for me. No. <laughs> <laughs> don't be yoked to unbelievers there we go that's that's why i say well that. well let's fin let's finish with, okay let's finish with this with, with this one verse here we'll, we'll go five more minutes because this this is this is a good one here this is good all right chapter seven uh verses four six seven and thirteen let's look at those um i have great pride in you i'm filled with comfort in all our affliction i'm overflowing with joy verse six but god who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of titus verse seven and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was, he, he was comforted by you as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved. This is, these couple of verses, this is why I want to stop. This is a great fault to leave on tonight. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into what? Mm. Repenting. Very Amen. important. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to what? Salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces what? Death. Can anybody give me two examples in the scripture of one example of godly I don't know if I should let you play, Brandon. Go ahead, Brandon. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. And who else? He 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 was the worldly grief. Yeah. Who was the godly grief? Peter. 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 Yes. Uh, Judas. I, I believe the text clearly gives us two examples of both. One, one example of each of these. God, godly grief was was clearly Peter, right? Mm -hmm. What did Peter do? Deny, which technically, technically is what? Apostasy. That is technically apostasy. But then what happened later in John 21? Christ reinstated him. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Peter denied him three times. Christ reinstated him three times. That's godly grief. 
So Peter realized he did something wrong. He, he denied Christ three times. Then he repented and comes back to Christ. Judas, on the other hand, what does Judas do? <clears throat> Judas, Judas betrayed Jesus, led the temple guards to Jesus, took Jesus to the trial, which resulted in him being uh, killed. But then later, what did Judas do? I have betrayed, he says, I have betrayed innocent blood. So something goes on with him emotionally, but then what does he ultimately do? He, he hangs himself and kills himself, and we know for a fact, okay, now, now here's another one of these sensitive issues where you got folks out there, and I'm not trying to be ugly to you, and I'm not trying to come across, you know, superior in knowledge, because all I did was read the Bible and found it, okay? Mm. Jesus himself said, I chose you 12, and yet one of you was a what? Devil. Devil, which means Judas is where? In hell, okay? So while it seems as though something happened in Judas' conscience and in his heart because he took the pieces of silver and threw them out of betrayed innocent blood, he hung himself and he died and went to hell. Let me say something else. Just because he committed suicide, and this is another, this is another misunderstanding people get yeah. from the scripture. Everybody on live feed, listen. Suicide is not automatically a sentence to hell. Right. Okay? Do y'all, everybody hear me out there? Yeah. I don't know who started that. I don't know why they started that. I don't know who, where, where that came from. But just because somebody commits suicide does not mean they go to hell. Right. Could have been. Could, could, could have been, man. Could have you know, been. the counseling hat. Putting the that's, counseling a great, that's a great observation. I've never heard anybody make that observation before. You know, when, when we talk about godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, sometimes these things are hard for us to discern in our own hearts when we approach these things. You know, God, am I feeling godly sorrow or worldly sorrow? Well, you can always understand that it's godly sorrow if your sorrow is aimed over the fact that you are sorrowful, that you, that you inflicted... Um, you know, you grieved the Holy Spirit. Worldly sorrow is always aimed at, oh man, I got caught. Self-preservation. It's self-preservation, it's yep. aimed toward yourself, and it's aimed toward what do I stand to lose because I got caught. If your first thought in your head is, oh man, well if I confess this stuff, then I'm gonna lose A, B, C, and D. That's gonna go out the window. You know, I'm gonna lose some of my freedoms. Um, you know, I'm not gonna be able to, to do what I used to do. Uh, well, then you're only thinking about yourself and what's going to be cut off of yourself. That's worldly sorrow. That's not godly sorrow that leads to repentance and, and a change, a life change for the Lord's glory. Yeah. That's right. Right. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's good. Absolutely. Jim Winchester. Yeah. John, yeah, John said they would, he would take money out of the, out of the, yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he, he well, he couldn't have. I mean, that, yeah, he, he, yeah, he, he was a, he was a false, he was a false, false follower for sure. Well, it, it, it depends on believing in vain. I mean, I mean, he must have, I mean, I, and to me, to me, that's like a, it, that's, because you do see that, you see, you see 
places in the text where you can where you can play around with that word believe a little bit but if somebody truly comes to belief in Jesus Christ as the son of God and they and they come to faith and repentance then they enter into the security of the believer and that's never to be taken away it's kind of like the uh, it's kind of like the the uh, the parable of the sower you know one one was sown on on a hard ground and the the birds came and snatched away the seed one was sown on rocky soil which immediately sprang up and the, because the person received the word with joy but then later died because it had no root so i would say you know maybe somebody may may appear to believe and appear to be joyful about it but eventually be, be proven to be not true <laughs> yeah 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 I, I see what you're saying all right we gotta quit we gotta do prayer 709 so you ready nathan where are you nathan i'm fixing to close this out all right so where do we pick up next week chapter eight Chapter, chapter seven, eight. chapter eight. Okay. All right, prayer. Uh, Deanna, why don't you give us a quick update on your uh, cousins, right? And let us know what's going on. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I'm so sorry. We're, we're, we're praying for them and we're with you in spirit on all that. So, um, yeah, one, one note, uh, just, and it's at the bottom of your prayer sheet there. Uh, just be praying for the Afghanistan situation. Yeah. I mean, goodness yeah. gracious. Yeah. There are believers over there who are, you know, just in, you know, foxholes. I mean, they, they got to hide. I mean, they're, it's, it's, it's a desperate situation. So please, please be praying for, for them. It is. Um, let's see. There was a, I got a message earlier from, uh, it was Rita Smith. I think Sherry, I think they've got a family member that's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, go ahead and mention um, him. Obviously, I think, uh, I think, did we send an email out on that? Uh, we were so I, I don't, I don't uh, remember. DJ Carter, I think we did. Yeah, DJ Carter has COVID, so please be praying for him. Um, and just a note, if you were anywhere around DJ Carter, you know, you might just want to make sure you're watching for symptoms and that kind of thing. Um, that puts us right now because uh, I think we're at two cases right now. That's right. So, and again, just to remind you, our policy is if we have 10 active word there's active cases then uh, then we would go back to two weeks of quarantining okay so um, but that hasn't happened right now and just continue to monitor yourself um, pray for DJ uh, that he makes it through COVID just unscathed okay um, and really that I know it affects everyone differently that it's an easy time for him just to make it through it okay so be praying for him yep um, Marty Luffman today uh, I went to his uh, doctor's appointment with him, and uh, the doctor was very hopeful that, that Marty would walk again. There, there's, some, um, there's some things that have happened. It, it seems as though his continuity of care ha has not been what it should have been uh, for the injuries that he's sustained. And I, and I don't, none of us, we're all, me and the two other guys that have kind of been helping him along 
were there, and, and none of us really know why that is. Um, but uh, the doctor he has now is actually where Ivan Fleming uh, is working now, and uh, his name is uh, Dr. Fish, and uh, he was, I was very impressed. And so anyway, uh, just remember, remember Marty in prayer. He was very encouraged from the, from the appointment today. So, uh, so, so just keep, keep him in mind. Um, and then also, please keep in mind uh, Merle Rich yes. and the loss of Billy Rich. Um, you know, we're just mourning uh, her loss. And so please be praying for the, the family. And uh, I saw on his post on Facebook, many of you guys commented and sharing love. So thanks for doing that uh, for Definitely. him. Okay, prayer, other prayer requests on this side first? Anybody? Yes, bye. his legs and then um, Deanna's family, uh, Joe and Megan. Anybody else on this side? Anybody else on this side? Okay, this side? Yes, Bob. Uh, my brother in Mississippi, him, his wife, his daughter, his son-in-law, two granddaughters, all have COVID. So this is your brother in Mississippi. All of the whole family has COVID. Okay. Man. Uh, Walter. Uh, got a text from Kevin Moore. He's last night, and his mother is finally getting to come home on the 24th. Good. He has been lost without his mother. Wilma Voorhees is coming home. Uh, Linda Crossland is still in a lot of pain. I know that's... Yes, Brandon, I'm sorry. Oh, no, finish. Okay. Yeah, you go ahead. Um, with the earthquake in Haiti, uh, it's damaged a lot of buildings, but uh, y'all know that I like that Cherish and I uh, deal with compassion a lot. Uh -huh. um, they have 46 centers in Haiti that were all damaged, 15 of which they consider totally destroyed. Um, so that means uh, 17,000 children in the compassion program will definitely... Uh, It'll, it'll affect their care. 
Gotcha. Because that was a 7.2 earthquake that hit uh, Haiti. Well, then they got tropical storms. Yeah, and then, you know, it's hurricane season on top of that. Yeah. Okay, I got it down. Uh, Haiti, Haiti centers the, uh, the compassion ministries, the, just all the chaos involved in that. Uh, who had their hand up? Howard and Ann. Howard and Ann, okay. Was there another hand out there? Yes, Carol. I was just going to update you on my grandmother. Okay. They let her out of isolation today. Um, she, her oxygen's been pretty good. They said it's been up to 98%. So she, she seems to be on the mend. Um, great. And she had COVID, right? Yes. Yeah, that's great. Been, has it been two weeks? Uh, about a week and a half, yes. Okay. All right, anybody else? Yes, Dee. Gotcha. Yeah, I'll talk to her Sunday for just a moment about that. Okay, we've got a ton of prayer requests here. I'm just going to pray generally over all of them, and we will update the, uh, update the list tomorrow with Cindy and be sure that they're available for you to pick up. Does that sound good? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have heard so many names tonight. I know there are other names that have not been mentioned. Oh, Lord, we have this, uh, this, dreaded, um, this dreaded virus, COVID, that is resurging everywhere. Um, Lord, I, I, just, I just ask for your healing hand to touch those that are infected at this moment, especially Deanna's family that she has kept us informed on over the past several days. Um, Father, we just pray for Joe and Megan. Uh, Megan especially. It sounds like Joe is doing a little bit better, but, but Megan is just remains to be critical. Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would restore them, Father, and um, just give the, the, all the personnel that surround them with care uh, help uh, on, on these matters, Lord, and help them to, to get better. Father, we've heard so many other names tonight. We just pray for all those that are struggling with COVID, for, for strength <clears throat> and for the, uh, the care that they need. Uh, Lord, I know that there are multiple struggles that, that we're all dealing with in life just to maintain our families and to raise children and, and to provide care for those that we love um, in the midst of this wild, wild world that we live in. Um, Father, we thank you for our church and for the great things you have going on here, Lord, that we are privileged to serve within. I pray that you would continue to, uh, to, to draw people to us, Lord, that, uh, that, that want to serve you, that want to grow in you and love you. Um, Father, I thank you for our children's and youth ministry and the great things that are happening there. Um, Father, I, I'm, just, I'm so humbled to be a part of, of this fellowship and what you're doing here. And I thank you for a great staff, great deacons, wonderful congregation, um, just all across the board, Father. We are extremely blessed. Father, we pray for, pray for those that have lost loved ones recently, uh, the rich family especially with the death of Billy. I pray that you be with Merle. Um, Father, I just couldn't imagine losing my spouse. Um, I just, it's just, just devastating. 
and we, our prayers go out to him tonight, Father, that, uh, that you would minister to him with your Holy Spirit, dear God, and, and just uh, and help him endure the loss. Um, Father, we thank you so much for putting us in this community and to give us the opportunity to share your gospel, the, the, the hope of the gospel with those that are in our midst. And Father, again, I pray that you help, uh, help all of us to, to be the witnesses that you've called us to be uh, in our homes first uh, and beyond in our communities. And Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you all so much for your attention tonight. Good night. Good night, Lathy. Good night.